You can be turning to Romans chapter 8. And as we contemplate on the things that have been said for the first part of our assembly, we can think the, the thing that sustains us during grief and hard times is the same thing that sustains us during our good times. You know, it's easy when things are going well to leave the Lord, just as it is the temptation when things are bad. Sometimes when things are bad, it drives us back to the Lord. Sometimes when things are good, we forget. And so, I really believe a constant diet of lifting Jesus up, looking at Him, refocusing our attention, attention on Him, will help us no matter what the circumstance that comes in, into our lives. I think a lot of what is going to be said today will center around a, a bit around um, what uh, others have said. And I, I am want to express my thankfulness to all the people at His Way, um, on staff, volunteers, have done a lot of um, good, a lot of help. Uh, and at the same time, it's, uh, it's a very difficult work at times. And Tom mentioning four brothers uh, dying in the last 18 days, I believe. And I know that that is not an easy thing. And so I just think I'm thankful for all these people who, who just invest their time, money, and effort into helping others. And it's a, it's a blessing for all of us. <clears throat> you know, last week we, we began this part of the passage in defining some words. And we've all been in situations where we've misused words. I was trying to think of a time that I used a word wrong and it'd be just so totally embarrassing. Um, and I couldn't think of it. But I know I've, I've misused words before, thinking I meant something and I meant something else. And you feel a bit like if you've seen the, the movie uh, Princess Bride. Uh, if you haven't, you need to. It's a great movie. Where Vizzini, the smart one, keeps using that word inconceivable, except he always says it with a little bit of a lisp. Inconceivable. And at one point in the movie, uh, Montoya says, turns to him and says, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> and so it's important for us to understand the meaning of words. And of course, we have to make assumptions as we speak. We assume that you understand words as I speak, and we don't need to be constantly defining or, or clarifying our words. We, we understand that. But at the same time, we do it all day long. We use the word what? Huh? You know, you know if you ever know, I notice this when I'm learning a second language, is that as I listen to people, I would notice that the other islander would often say, Nadaba, Nadaba, what, what? All right, just like we do. We don't notice it. It's just part of communication. And we'll also things, say things like, what I meant was, or what I was saying was, or did you mean to say? We're, we're doing this. No, what I, I didn't say that. I said this. And we do that, I, I know this week, if you had been paying attention to your words, you clarified and defined what you were saying 
to someone that you were speaking to. In the 60s, when we lived in New Zealand, there was an American missionary who uh, one Sunday evening, his wife wasn't feeling well, so she stayed home while he took the kids to their evening service. And one of the New Zealanders asked him, where's your wife? And he says, "Uh, well, she's at home. She's a bit under the weather. Well, you know, we know what that means. She's not feeling well. I don't know what it means today in New Zealand, but in the 60s, it meant she was a little tipsy or she's overcoming a hangover. And so the shock in everyone's eyes, like, what? The preacher's wife, the missionary's wife is under the weather? And so there had to be some communication when they, when they ask about that. And so to, mis- to avoid misunderstanding the scripture, we shouldn't find it, uh, we shouldn't assume that everyone understands every word. And that's why we have to do some definition. And that's what, we're, what we tried to do last week. Uh, one thing in understanding this passage here, let's see if I can, am I on? I'm on. But I'm not advancing. Off, on. No, you know, when your vision goes back, on and off look the same. <laughs> the green helps you. All right, there you go. Now I'm in good shape. This passage in eight, chapter 8, verse 1, that we introduced, says, Therefore there is now no condemn- condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what I tried to show in this, when we introduced this, is that everything in the previous seven chapters lead to this grand statement. He's setting the stage. He's building his arguments. He's talking about all these things to bring you to the point that therefore there is now no condemnation. And so... As I've studied through this passage, I've, I've tried to keep that one passage at the forefront of my mind that this is what Paul is trying to explain and show and help us with. And this is an, an encouraging, encouraging passage. In other words, as you read through the scriptures, and you may find yourself doing this, you'll read further and you'll say, well, I feel condemned. As I read this particular passage, and especially as we go in this flesh and the spirit and back and forth, and we'll try and explain that, we, we get to the point going, I just don't know. I don't know if I'm in the flesh or in the spirit. I feel condemned. And if you get to that point, there's one of two possibilities in the, as, you, as we interpret these passages. Number one, you may just be misunderstanding what it says. Or you may not be in Christ. One, if you're not in Christ and you feel condemned, that's a good thing because now you, are, you know where to go. You can go into Christ. And we, we study this in Romans chapter 6. On the other hand, if you are in Christ, and that's the question you need to ask yourself, am I in Christ, and, and how did I get into Christ? It's not, it's not you know, something I willed or whatever. The Scripture tells us very clearly how to get into Christ. If I'm in Christ and I feel condemned, I'm misunderstanding that passage, or that particular passage 
is making me feel condemned. I don't know if that makes sense to you. I can't read your faces. I can only read your eyes. So the question is, am I in Christ as we go through this passage? If you are, this is good news. And if you're not, it's still good news. You have an opportunity to come into Christ as one will after this assembly. This passage, Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11, we're going to read them together. They're on the screen or you can follow along, whichever you wish. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Last, I think it was last week I talked about this is God's word. I hope we're honor it as we read it and think about it together. To me, this whole section is speaking of two mindsets, two ways of thinking. And we, we often misunderstand these, these mindsets. We look at flesh, living in the flesh and living in the spirit as this guy sitting on the bench with, you got a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other shoulder. And we, we look at this, we say, well, living in the flesh means doing bad things. It means sinning. It means struggling with sins. It means not overcoming sins. When I, when I, when I go through that, I, I must be living in the flesh. On the other hand, living in the Spirit means someone who uh, reads his Bible and he prays, loves to go to church, teaches Bible classes, a person who hardly ever sins. Uh, there's someone either, they're either not sinning or they're not sinning much or as I always say, tongue-in-cheek, not doing felony sins, you know, just doing the misdemeanor sins. So this is a person who lives in the Spirit, kind of a nice person, person that, you know, is a good moral purpose person. And so that as you look at that, you think, if that's the definition of flesh and spirit, then something must be wrong with me. Something must be wrong with me because... I sin, I, I do bad things, and does that mean I'm in the flesh sometimes and I'm in the spirit? And, I, and I, I, last week I should, my, my translation says cardinal nature. Yours may say flesh, cardinal nature. I've, I've kind of made it one word. But, you know, we struggle with that and say, am I in the flesh sometimes? Am I in the spirit sometimes? I don't feel so good sometimes. And then it, 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 you look at it and say, well, something must be wrong with me because I'm concerned about work. And I'm not really concerned about praying during that time. And I, I like to have fun. I go out and have fun and watch TV and read fiction and go to a ball game. And 
Is that living in the flesh when you're not doing spiritual things, when you're not doing church things? And so we tend to kind of have a gray area sometimes, and it's like, well, it's fun, but it's, it's good fun, so it's not bad fun. So maybe that's in the spirit, but we struggle with that when we have this kind of definition. And the results of that kind of thinking, and that's why definitions are important, the results of this kind of thinking is it leads people to either just kind of give up Kind of take a back seat to church stuff, so to speak. Get frustrated at themselves and just say, I just don't know. I, I look at this person. They're so holy and so good. And I can never be spiritual like that person. And so they struggle with that. Or they have a tendency to pretend to be holy. And so we look at that and, well, he's a hypocrite. I feel like I'm a hypocrite now. Because I'm trying hard, but I don't feel that way at times. And so we put these two kind of Christians <clears throat> into two categories. We have a Christian, but he's not so good. He's kind of a worldly Christian or something. And then we have the spiritual Christian, you know, someone who's just, you know, someone we look up to and honor and say, that's the kind of Christian I want to be. So I, I, maybe I'm a not so good Christian, and this person's a, such a spiritual Christian. I've known people who have quit their jobs thinking that the best way for me to live according to the Spirit is to go to a Bible school and to get a degree so I can preach, so I can be a youth minister. They don't see that they can be an engineer or a construction worker and be a good Christian. They have to, they have to get in ministry. And this, this leads to all sorts of unhealthy spiritual problems. I've known some men's who, men who have, who have taken the, the work of an elder, of a shepherd, not so much because they want to serve others, and I'm not thinking of anyone in this congregation, <laughs> but I've known the, people like this, but not so much to serve, but to to validate their spirituality. They, they want to be an elder so they'll be spiritual or more spiritual. They feel like they can, they can do that. And the Bible clearly states in several places there's not these two categories. There's not a not-so-good Christian and a really good Christian. There's not a cardinal Christian and a, or, or a sinful nature Christian and a spiritual Christian. What we have is, as you go through the Bible, you have in the light and in the darkness, you have for me, against me, uh, lost, saved, love the things of the world, and, and uh, love the things of God. You have in the flesh, in the spirit. <clears throat> There's not this in-between category. There's not a gray category. We're kind of comfortable with the gray category, but it's not there. And what this passage is saying is, is there's only two ways of living. There's only two mindsets. And the mindsets that accompany these two ways of living. Either you're in Christ, is another way they say it, or you're out of Christ. Either you're saved or lost. Either you're in the light or you're in the darkness. This passage is saying either you're living according to the flesh or you're living according to the Spirit. And so this passage here is contrasting the two. We're, we're looking at a contrast. And let's look at the contrast briefly. Flesh and Spirit. In verse 5... The first one is, is in the way you think. 
Verse 5 says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have uh, set their mind, have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. And we looked at last week that this word mind means the direction of your life. It's not just, it's not surface thinking. It's the direction your, your, your life is taken. You have your mind set the way this translation says. It means our brain has taken in information. We've listened to some things. Then we've processed it. We've kind of rolled it around our brain. We've thought it. And then if you continue to do that, it will direct your life. Whatever you think about, whatever you process, whatever you dwell on, this will be the direction of your life. Your, the direction of your life is set. The breath of God, His Word, bends you toward Him. It transforms you. It's a process of transforming you into Christ's likeness. This is what it means to be living according to the Spirit. Living centered in yourself is, is living according to the flesh. And so we ask our life, are we listening to God's Word? Are we being bent in His direction? And again, it's not that we're living our lives in a perfect, holy way. It means, is the wind of God, is the Spirit of God, is the breath of God moving us? And we're yielding to this movement, even though sometimes we resist, even so, though sometimes we struggle. It's all there, and we're going to look at that in a moment. But are we bent toward God, our way of thinking? And then he talks about, in verse 6, our state of being, where he says... Uh, let me find my six here. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind uh, controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The only way I could think of this is the state of your being, uh, where you are, okay, the state, the, the, the place that you are. And for those, he says, who are me-centered, who are centered in themselves, and that's what the flesh is, is I'm just centered in me and my life, he says, that's death. But those who are centered in Christ, in the Spirit, the result is life and peace. And he's talking about our current existence as a Christian. Where are you right now? And it, cult, it culminates eventually in where you will eventually be when you leave this earth, of course. But if you center everything around yourself, he says that's death. And we know this from our own practical experience. Center yourself, everything in yourself, and what do you get? Frustration, you get anger, you get malice, you get envy, you get jealousy, you get gossip. And all those are death words. We experience death as we center our lives in ourselves. You center your life around God, what does He want? Compassion, goodness, joy, peace, patience. And all those are life words. And we understand this so clearly in our minds, but we struggle with that, don't we? We say, yes, I don't want to be envious. I don't want to gossip. I don't want to get angry. I want to be patient and kind and good. And then we get involved in situations and we go into the death words. But what's the state of your being overall? Where has God placed you? And then the conditions of your emotions is in verse 7. He really just 
puts it on one side here is on the flesh. He says, uh, the sinful mind is hostile to, to, to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor, nor can it do so. The opposite of peace that he's just spoken of, is a, which is the mind controlled by the Spirit, is hostility. And both of these words, peace and hostility, I think speak to our emotions, how, how we're currently feeling at the moment. Those whose bent of life is in the self-centered flesh, they're in constant war, they're in constant turmoil, this inner turmoil. And it's very ironic because a selfish person is trying to feel good about himself, and yet when we turn into ourselves, we feel terrible about ourselves. Isn't that, don't you find that kind of, it's not funny, but ironic? That the more selfish we are, the worse we feel about ourselves. And, and yet the reason we're being selfish is so we'll be, feel good about ourselves. The knowledge of being at peace with the Creator. Knowledge of being at peace with the One who created the universe. Assure of His control. You know, we look, we look out in the world and we see all sorts of stuff going on. But those in the spirit, those who follow in Christ, can know that, that God is in control. Yes, you know, Tom was talking about timing. And it didn't seem like things were in control in so many places in the Bible. Then, then when the story is over, you say, oh, God was in control. And so in our lives right now, we look around and say, is God in control? And the answer is yes. Do you see it? Not necessarily. But I know it by faith because he's proven that over and over and over, not only in my own life, but in, as you read the scriptures. This secure relationship, those who are hostile to God, they don't have this. It's just non-existence. The reason they're moving, the reason that these people are hostile to God is they're moving away from the very character of God. And the word here is, he says, they do not submit to God's law. God's law is basically a reflection of his character. That's all it is. You read God's law, it reflects his character. It says, this is who I am. Do you want to be perfect here? Here's the law. This is my character. This is who I am. And so this is the standard of right. And the me-centered person, they look at, at that standard and they say, I know what's best. I'm going to follow my comfort. Their, their comfort is their religion, you could say. They do things because it makes them feel good. And so he's hostile to God's law, hostile to God's character. Let me give you an example here. This person is a nice person. He's hostile to God's law. He does good things for other people. He has a sense of humor. He can be fun to, with others, be kind of fun to hang out with. What, where is this hostility? Because God's law is a demonstration of his character, it begins in, 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 the, uh, in the Ten Commandments. He says, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. And recognizing that there's a God above myself. I am not the center of the universe. I recognize that the Lord is God. And I turn to him. And he says, and there are no other gods before you. And of course, we say, well, I don't bow down to an idol. Yes, but we bow down to ourselves. That's the problem. And so we bow down to ourselves, we, and we, we become the focal point of our lives. God is the focal point of our lives. He's the desire of my heart. He says, do not take the Lord your God in vain. 
and we, I explained this in a class last year sometime, where that word means do not carry the character of God in vain. It doesn't mean just don't say the word God in a flippant way. But it means you are representing the character of God. And so don't do that flippantly. Don't do things in front of other people that does not represent the character of God. And the person who is hostile to God and he's, he, he's fun to be with and all that, he doesn't care about that. He's not trying to represent God. He says, honor the Sabbath rest. That's the rest now that we have in Christ. Honor your parents is another one. The me-centered life scoffs at Christ's rest, tries to do it themselves, work on their own, own behalf. The, the me-centered person scoffs at their parents and like, oh, they're old-fashioned, whatever. They don't really honor their parents. That's an interesting word. He doesn't say love your parents because there's some parents that you really can't love. <laughs> but he says honor them. You can honor parents even if you don't necessarily have an affection toward them. The me-centered person knows better than the wisdom of Christ. And so the condition is found in verse 8. It's very short. But in verse, it says those, those, in verse 8, he says, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. This is, the, this is their condition. They can't please God, not because God is unable to be pleased, but because you're living outside his character. You're, you're not following his ways. And so we look at now in verse 9 through 11, this, there's a reality that's happening, a spiritual reality. And what, what this spiritual reality is, he says, Paul is writing to Christians, and he says he's assuming that they have the Spirit. Verse 9 says, you, however, you, however. And that's very emphatic, where he says, you, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. Now, this is the good news. He's writing to Christians, and he's just contrasted the two, and every one of us has said, well, sometimes I act that way, and sometimes I... And he says, listen, you, this is your condition. This is your spiritual reality, is that you are controlled not by yourself, not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. And then he goes on to say, if, and a lot of people take this as, well, maybe I'm, I'm not, if the Spirit of God lives in you, and this word means since or if, and I assume this is true, as he's writing to these Christians. And then he goes on to say, if anyone, and this, this points to those who, who, who need to examine themselves, those who are outside of Christ, where he says in verse uh, 9, if, uh, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So he says, now look at yourself. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, if you're not in Christ, okay, you don't belong to Christ. That's true. But to those who are in Christ, you are controlled by the Spirit. That's reality. Your place is a spiritual reality. In the NIV, it says here, you are controlled. You, uh, you however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. That word controlled is not in the Greek. It literally says this, you are not in flesh, but in spirit. This is your spiritual reality. If you have come to Christ in faith, if you have been immersed into him, you are now in spirit. 
You say, well, I don't feel in spirit. I don't care what you feel. Here's the reality. You, this is where you are. I don't feel like I'm in Christ. Okay. I don't feel like I'm saved. Okay. I don't feel like I'm in spirit. Okay. I don't care what you feel. What's the reality? Where are you? Did you come to Christ in repentance and faith? And were you immersed? Because the scripture says when I went down in that water, I was raised to a new life. I didn't feel any different. So what? You were different because God transferred you and now he's transforming you. Here is your reality. And this is something that we all struggle with. The reality of being in spirit when I don't feel like I'm in spirit. You are in spirit. That's the good news. And this is what is stressed in Romans chapter 6. We looked at that, this transference that we've gone from, from out of Christ to in Christ. We're in this grace dimension. We're, we're living in Him. We're learning from Him. All these things are, are happening right now. This is our spiritual reality. And then he says, but we have a, a, a physical reality. The Bible doesn't put you up in the clouds and say, well, have a good time. Your brain's up, your mind's up there. They get down, the Bible gets down to the nitty-gritty and says, okay, we, there's a spiritual reality, but there's a physical reality. And that's in verse 10 where he says, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. It, it's a fact. Our physical bodies are dying. It's just that's, that we don't pretend that in this spiritual reality of new life and new living and, 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 and being washed by the blood of Jesus that, that we don't have any physical problems. We're, it's full of physical problems. This is the physical reality. There is death because of sin. The effects of sin in our lives is physical death. Coming to Christ doesn't remove us from physical reality. We die, we get sick, we struggle with sin. That's a physical reality. It's a constant battle. Don't believe that when you become a Christian, the battle's over. When you become a Christian, the battle begins. And so we, this is our physical reality. This is where we are. But at the same time, the Spirit is alive. The Spirit is growing. The Spirit is maturing because of the righteousness that God has given us through Christ. And here, often we don't see it in ourselves, but we see it in others. Just looking out in this congregation, I can start pointing out people that I have, and, and you're, you're sitting there thinking, I don't, I don't know if I've grown that much. But if I were to embarrass you in front of this group, I could tell stories of how you were and how I have seen you grow spiritually. And I'm saying, look, God is moving you along here. Yes, you're struggling with sin, but you're moving along. Well, I don't like the speed I'm moving. I don't care. God is moving you along. God's timing is perfect. I'm struggling with things still. Yes, but God is moving. He's maturing you. You're becoming more like Christ. But I'm not anywhere near what I want to be. Well, good. Join the crowd. That's where we all are. The physical reality is that we struggle with sin. We struggle with death. We struggle with emotions. But our spirit is alive because of righteousness. 
And then there's our place in a future reality. Again, the Bible is clear. It lets us know, yes, this is where we are, our, our spiritual reality. We're in Christ. We're saved. We struggle with sin. That's our physical reality. But there's a future reality that's waiting for us. And it says in verse um, uh, 11, of the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. <clears throat> I wanted to do a whole sermon on this ver one verse, but I won't. I don't think. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. That's where I want to really concentrate. Who lives in you. Here's this future reality. It's not always going to be like this. We're not always going to be struggling with these sins. We're not going to be struggling with death. There's a future glorious reality that he says, look, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, do you believe that Jesus was really dead in a grave and God raised him, the spirit raised him? That same spirit lives in you. Isn't that amazing? That's where the sermon wants to go. Lives in you. And it's going to raise you one day. That's a future reality. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18 kind of sum this up. Where he says, therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Isn't that wonderful? For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. What good news. Summing this up in the paraphrase. Going back to verse 5. Indeed, those who are wrapped up in self-centered living can only see life centered around themselves. There are gods in their own little universe. But those who look outward to the Spirit and who are shaped by the breath of God, His Word have a worldview bent toward him and see things in the clear light of what the Spirit desires. For those whose mindset is centered in me, death. For those who are swayed and bent by the gentle breath of God's Spirit, life and peace. On account of that, the one whose mindset is centered in self is at war with God. Me-centered cannot follow God's way or imitate his character. With sight focused in me, he has no power to see God. Indeed, those who exist in the realm of me have no idea how to please or serve God. You, on the other hand, are not centered in self, but centered in the Spirit since the Spirit of God has made his home in you. However, those not centered in the Spirit of Christ are not a part of him. Moreover, we affirm if Christ is in you, the physical body is dead, wearing out because of sin. However, our spirit, life, on account of righteousness. On top of all this, if the spirit who raised Jesus from death has made his home in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from his grave will one day infuse life in your mortal body because his spirit is currently inhabiting you. God bless us. The spirit's living in you. Learn to live that way.
and let's enjoy our week together.